Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast on Cleveland.com. Chris Fedor, Joe Varden, driving back from the Cavs practice facility as we get ready for game one of the 2017-18 season. And of course, that marks the return of Kyrie Irving to Cleveland, the only time that he's coming to Cleveland this year with the Celtics. Uh, J.R. Smith, Joe, said today that Boston is not a threat. He doesn't view them as a threat in the Eastern Conference think that's that's the right way to approach them well first of all we need to stop for a minute and say that we're doing this podcast in the car the, the wheels are actually rolling Is that driving back from well, right so if you think about it like they just traded richard jefferson and his big podcast is called road tripping yeah, yeah. so this is the road tripping episode in <laughs> honor of richard jefferson who is no longer with us okay before we before we get into the Kyrie thing, then, uh-huh. let's clean up the RJ because that trade happened um, right before the final preseason game. It's RJ and Kay Felder to the Atlanta Hawks, um, and the Cavs did what they had to do with the roster, getting it down to 15. Um, how close do you think they came to this not being Richard Jefferson out the door? Oh, I uh, not very. I okay. mean just because, just for, the, for all the reasons we've talked about, um, the more expensive contracts they have to move, you probably not want to move those for nothing. Like, this was a let's clear space trade. Yeah. Um, so you, tra- you trade the cheapest, you know, guy that you have who's older in Richard, um, and then you trade K, who they probably didn't want to move, but because he's so young and they invested two and a half million just to be able to to get him, but yep. whatever it is with him, they, they didn't see it. That's why they went out and got Jose Calderon. Um, so, you know, speaking of Calderon, he could not have been traded until uh, December? December 15th, yeah, maybe? Something like that. The date exactly. So, right. So he was not an option either. They could have cut him, um, and it would have cost him about $3 million. Yeah. So... You know, I I think they like Jose. I think they like what they saw in him. They must have felt like there's just no room for RJ because it cost them about the same in terms of what they paid um, the Hawks to take those two guys. So, you know, I I don't think they came very close to um, moving anybody else other than RJ, and and they had to do something with Kay, and at least this way they don't have to pay the luxury. But I think you hit on the thing that most fans said as soon as it got done. Why RJ, not Jose Calderon? If it was me and I was Kobe Altman, 
Calderon would have been the guy to go. They don't need that many point guards because LeBron can play point, because Dwayne Wade can play point. J.R. Smith can be a quote-unquote playmaker for the second unit. Um, And R.J. is a guy who has helped you in the past in a series against Golden State. He was the one that started for Kevin Love when Kevin was dealing with the concussion in 2016. He was the guy that they used at times last year against Kevin Durant. Now, it didn't go very well for R.J., but he brought a different kind of dimension from that standpoint. Um, So I got the sense that most fans wanted Jose to go and not R.J. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's fair. Just from the standpoint of everybody around here, like they feel a connection to Richard. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Because of what you just said about his role playing on the, in the finals, and because of the podcast, and because of just how he's kind of immersed himself in Cleveland culture, and, and he improved it within the locker room, and he's a fun guy on Snapchat for whoever follows him, and he just he fit in well here. And no one knows Jose, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of just the average Cleveland fan. And, and you look him up and you see, well, he's almost 37 and, and he um, just is coming off a pretty bad year. So, you know what? I guess it's time to give him a benefit of the doubt. He had a really nice night against the Magic. Actually won them the game, <laughs> um, which is something they clearly don't think that Kay Felder could do, right? Uh, which is why they went out and got Jose to begin with. So, uh, whatever. Um, that's that's where they are. And, and uh, I guess the one question would be, Chris, is just part of this was, well, how much would it cost us to trade a guy versus how much would it cost to cut a guy? Right. Um, Jose cost about 1.5 against the cap, which meant he would have been roughly $3 million uh, in luxury taxes, so I guess, yeah, I guess it would have been more expensive to cut him four point five million to three, but um, not that big of a deal. They could have cut him, chose not to. They must like him. It's too bad because uh, RJ fit in nicely here and is a uh, close friend of Channing Fry, who is still with us. Right. But that's how that's the business part of the game. The way I understand it, the Cavs could not give a two-way G League contract to Kay Felder. That's correct? That is correct. Um, they, they couldn't do it because his guaranteed money was such that it was above the $50,000 limit that the NBA has for these players and two-way deals yeah. uh, as far as who is eligible for one. Um, the deal themselves, when you're in the NBA on a two-way contract, for those days, it's like seventy-five grand or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, so, I don't know. Like with everything else with the with the salary cap, it's confusing. But the Cavs wanted they wanted to do this with with uh, with K, and even um, asked the league yeah. if if they could get an exemption or or, or an exception, uh, and, and couldn't get one. My big question when it comes to RJ, the first thing that I thought of was the same question my wife asked me: mm-hmm. What happens to the podcast? Do you know? They well, can't do it, right? There's I mean, no I, way. I don't think they can do it. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I don't think, you know, I, I wonder if they can. I mean, like, I think that there's a, that there's potential for some pretty good podcasting there if Richard is with the Bucks or the Nuggets or whoever. Yeah. And, uh, and they, they, they do it via satellite, you know, via phone, often like we do our riveting podcast and, uh, <laughs> 
and, and they just, you know, shoot the bull about what's going on in Denver and what's going on in Cleveland. Like, I think you could do that. But what, why road tripping was so good was that you just had this all Cavs family right. sitting down and drinking wine together yep. in hotel rooms and, like, talking about the Cavs and saying funny stuff about the Cavs. And so with RJ out of that locker room, it probably does not work. So we'll see. I don't know. LeBron's uninterrupted, you know, invested in that. So I'm not sure. I was going to ask Allie Clifton about that today, actually, but I did not see her at practice. Yeah. Maybe she left before we got in there because it was um, a practice that that ran a little bit longer than they anticipated, as per usual. So I was going to ask her about that. Um, but, But I agree. Like, it was so good for Cavs fans. That was the podcast that brought us Kyrie thinking that the earth is flat. True. That was the podcast that brought us LeBron talking about giving Kyrie the blueprint. Right. Which I don't think he's doing anymore. No. Um, and they're just... It was such a unique perspective that you don't get. You get these guys in front of a camera oftentimes. Or you get these guys on your own one-on-one at these times. And it's just... It's a different kind of feel. It's a different kind of vibe. It's a different kind of environment. And they're way more open on the road trip and thing than they are when a camera's in front of them. And rightfully so, because they're just hanging out with their buddies, having a good time. Yeah. I think that's true. I mean, I think we're, we're, I think they're more relaxed in those settings. Yeah, wine helps that. But, I mean, look, you know, JR told us first, told, you know, told Cleveland.com that he was pissed. Yeah. And then turned around and told the team. Yeah. And then did the podcast. So, JR doesn't need that platform, so to speak. And, And LeBron, you know, we used to see him all the time. We don't see him anymore. Um, but when we do see him, he feels like talking he can be incredible sure so all right well we're halfway home yep and as you know um as soon as i pull up to your house yeah. in bay village you are out i know uh, i know so let's get to Kyrie. okay so your thoughts on tomorrow's opener and and what jr said mostly about the celtics not being a threat to the Cavs. well they are a threat they are a threat because Kyrie irving's really good and gordon hayward's really good and um Define threat. Well, I'll get there. Okay. Brad Stevens is really good. And then they have more draft picks to trade, certainly, than the Cavs do. And if one of these super players who's on the, on a not-great team becomes available, the Celtics ostensibly could have a better chance of getting him mm-hmm. than the Cavs. So let's say everything falls apart in in New Orleans. And, you know, I'm just I'm kind of spitballing here. Sure. Let's say it falls apart there. For some reason that blows my mind, they want to trade Anthony Davis. Well, guess what? The Celtics would have a better chance of getting him than the Cavs. Right. So, because of all those reasons, they are a threat. Top to bottom, the Cavs are much deeper. They're much more experienced. They have LeBron, who is as proven of a winner as there is. Uh, They have players who are hungrier than those guys over in Boston because they were dealt by Boston. Um, And you have Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade. So... The Cavs should win it, should be fine, everything should be fine, but I, I do see them somewhat of a threat. So as soon as everything happened this offseason, I guess the best way that I phrased it was, for the last two years or so, we've all been asking the same question. Who's the second best team in the Eastern Conference? Or, or if we wanted to phrase it a different way, Joe, we said, who's the biggest threat to the Cavs and LeBron? Mm-hmm. 
And usually the answer to that second question was themselves. Right. The Cavs are the biggest threat to the Cavs. Are they going to care enough about the regular season? Are they going to be healthy enough? Are they going to develop the proper habits? All of those different things. Um, as soon as the Celtics got Gordon Hayward and Kyrie, I felt we finally had an answer other than somebody than the Cavs. So to me, that shows how far they've gone. And, and does that mean that they can take out the Cavs in a seven-game series? No, I don't believe that. I wouldn't pick them to do that. If anything, maybe it's a five-game series, six-game series, because Kyrie and Gordon Hayward are the kinds of guys in a playoff series that can go and shift a series and win games in a series. But does that mean that they're on the Cavs' level? No, I don't think so. So from that standpoint, I agree with JR. I think there's a level that the Cavs are on that it would be, in a way, disrespectful to them and everything that they've accomplished to put any other team from the Eastern Conference on that level. Right, and then just circling back, you know, tying everything together with our podcast discussion. So, JR didn't need the podcast to step up there and say (laughs) that, that the Boston Celtics don't pose a threat. You know, he was just fine. So, you know. Uh, and he paused for five seconds. Yeah. He's like, uh, should I say this? Should I not say this? Yes. You know what? Bleep it. Yes. I'm going to say this. I don't care. Yes. Yeah, so we appreciate the candor. <laughs> um, but so what, you know, um, what what do you think uh, is in store for Kyrie Irving's career? Not, you know, I, it's hard to say, like, how yeah. everything's going to turn out. He's got probably... You know, he might have 13 years left in this yeah. thing. I don't know, but but he's left LeBron. He's got his own team now. Who knows what he's going to do in free agency? What do you think Kyrie Irving's legacy could be? Uh, so I think the legacy conversation changes if if he wins. You know, um, and if he doesn't win, I think he can be looked at as very similar to a Steve Francis type. Or a Stefan Marbury type, you know. But neither of those, I mean, but Kyrie has already won. Kyrie has won, but he hasn't won on his own. All right, so I look at it very similar like this. Um, Kobe Bryant, in a way, entered a different conversation, a different category of player. The minute that he proved that he could win without Shaq. Right. But until that happened, there were people that were talking about Kobe Ballhog, Kobe Selfish. Kobe can't win without Shaq. Kobe wants out of Los Angeles. All those different things. And then they get Pau Gasol. Andrew Bynum matures a little bit. They get him at a world peace. And they win championships. And then he enters this different kind of conversation. So I think if Kyrie wins one without LeBron, he enters this unique conversation. And I think he wants that. I think he feels like he belongs in that conversation based on his talent. But the truth is, in the NBA, you don't get in those kinds of conversations unless you win as the guy. The number one guy. Sure. Um, So that could be his career. That could be his career where he's in the conversation as the best point guard of the last decade. Or the best point guard of the last 15 years. But you got to lead your team to the playoffs. you got to win in the playoffs. And then you got to get in championship contention for that conversation to happen. I am concerned um, for Tuesday for Cavs fans because um, I feel like... 
and I could be proven wrong, come to buff. Um, I feel like right now the Celtics are further ahead in their development for this year than the Cavs are because the Celtics' best player has been out there playing great. Yeah. And, and really building cohesion with everybody. The Cavs' best guy, LeBron, has been out there all. Right. And the one time he was out there, it was Brock. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go. Um, uh, you know. And the other thing I keep going back to, Joe, is that Miami started 9-8 and eight or something like that. Sure. In the LeBron, Wade, Bosch era. Right. And that's not because they didn't have a bunch of talent. They had tons of talent. They just didn't know how to play together. Correct. And they had the whole training camp in preseason, and I think they went away together as a team, and then that was still the product, because while LeBron's easy to play with for a lot of guys, he's also difficult to play with, mm-hmm. and you have to get used to him, and he has to get used to his teammates, and you have to get into these different roles. It, Kevin, how long? How long did it take Kevin Love to get comfortable in this role um, as second or third fiddle? No, exactly. Now, the Cavs have so much talent that LeBron and Kevin could decide to run offense together. Right. And then the other guys can just kind of hold their own and they could probably win. You know, I think they would be at a different place than the Heat of 2011 were. Um, but you're right. I mean, they... they the, uh, the, you know, the, the Heat really struggled for that, for that amount of time. This team is as new as that team in, mm-hmm. in several ways. So it, it could be tough, and it, it could be tough in that opener. But, you know, I mean, Derrick Rose has been playing great. Dwayne's been playing pretty good. Crowder's been good. So uh, this team's deeper, and, 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 you know, on paper, this is, a, this is still a win. So I guess that's what makes it fun for tomorrow. And I think going back to the Kyrie thing, I think, honestly, this year he is a legitimate MVP candidate. I think he is a sneaky MVP candidate. Because I think, for the first time, how he's viewed could potentially change. And what I mean by that, and I remember having a conversation, a private conversation, with two Cavs players in the locker room at Boston after the conference finals, after the Cavs had won in the conference finals. And... I was talking about the voting process for the all-NBA teams and just how they viewed certain guys, the players, because I wanted a player's perspective on it. And I said, from our perspective, and I can only speak for me, but from our perspective in the media, I'm looking at Kyrie as um, a secondary option on a championship team, kind of like a supporting actor as opposed to a lead actor. Mm -hmm. And I said, it's LeBron's team. Everything runs with LeBron. So for me, guys, I would put just just in those kinds of awards, I would put Isaiah over him. I would put John Wall over him. I'd put Steph over him. I'd put Harden. I'd put Westbrook because I've seen those guys do it as the man, as the lead role guy. And they both looked at me and said, you're nuts. Like Kyrie is just as big to this team as LeBron you need to start looking at it a different way. And I said, well, I understand where you're coming from and you're going to support your guy and this isn't about talent. This is about who's the more talented guy. It's about who's more deserving of specific honors. So I, I think other people viewed it that way with Kyrie as well, not just me. Um, and I think the fact now that he is the guy in Boston 
um, he's going to be looked at that way and that in a way allows him to be in the conversation with all these other elite point guards that he probably couldn't have gotten into before because he was playing with LeBron. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Um, we'll, you know, we'll see how much space he has not playing with LeBron. Mm -hmm. We'll see how he handles the pressure. We'll see how he handles the criticism. Um, and all the responsibility that comes with this role that he wanted. Um, if he handles it well, and if the Celtics finish first, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he would certainly, he would most likely be in the running for, for, for an MVP, which is funny because I didn't consider him at all um, in my, in, in, in our, you know. The predictions yeah, that you were doing, yeah. Our preseason predictions. I didn't, didn't, name did not cross my mind. Um, I had Westbrook again, but but the, I think you are right on the money with this. Um, that when you think of everybody's supporting cast in the league of guys who could be MVP, Kyrie's is probably the right now, right, the least. I think. Right, I think that's right? fair. Yeah. And so if he elevates that team to uh, you know to, to the promised land, uh, you know number one. It's not so promised. It didn't really help the Celtics last year, but 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 yeah, you know, uh, if, if he gets in there, that then then he should certainly he probably certainly should be considered uh, as an MVP candidate. Is there another team in the East that you think um, could meet the Cavs in the conference finals? Well, I, I was giving this some thought about the Wizards. Um, uh. You know, you really like their starting five or four of the five. Or, it's it's just it's a fun group. They can run. They've got some muscle there with Gortat. Um, you know, I, I like Otto Porter yeah. coming into his own, and then you really like the guards. Um, it's just they still there isn't a ton of depth there. Right. And so for me, that's that's the issue with the Wizards. But I like their starting five enough that if the Celtics never gel and the Cavs do. Um, and the Cavs prove so dominant that the Celtics choose not to fire some of their weapons with those draft picks to, to get another player, then, yeah, then then you could say, well, maybe the Wizards get by the, the Celtics this time. But, no, I don't think many people are expecting that. I think most people are expecting Cavs-Celtics. Yeah, that's why I asked that question, and I was trying to think to myself, is there another team in a playoff-type setting? Because I, I want to go back to... I remember having a conversation with... Uh, some members of the Cavs organization last year, going into the postseason, and just saying, how do you view Boston? And I think this goes back to everything that JR said today about them not being a threat. And I remember members of the Cavs organization and just like going through the teams, listing off the teams. How would you match up against them? What does this guy mean for you guys when you're preparing a defensive game plan and stuff yeah. like that? And I was kind of stunned that the Celtics were like fourth or fifth on the list and they were behind a team like Toronto and they were behind a team like Washington as you mentioned and they were behind Milwaukee and even one of the members of the organization brought up Indiana right. because of Paul George and what he can do in a postseason series and what he had done in the past in a postseason series and I was just like my goodness this is the view of the Boston Celtics this team won 50 plus games in the regular season they have Isaiah Thomas who's an MVP candidate and they've got all this depth in the bench and Brad Stevens is a great coach and yet the view 
from the Cavs looking at Boston was, <laughs> give me a break here with these guys. Right. There's so many other teams that are more competitive. Now, Kyrie and Gordon Hayward changes that, but I'm just wondering if Toronto, Milwaukee, Washington will be viewed the same kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. It, you, you do have to wonder, and it just the, the East is is so void of you know a, of depth when it comes to star star level talent. That all seems to be in the West. Yeah, and there's such a concentration of, of talent first in Cleveland and then in Boston, and then in Washington. Yep. And then it's like you have two players in Toronto, and then it gets bare. Yeah. Um, so it's it's hard to view those other teams that way. Like, you know, if the Cavs end up playing the Sixers or the Heat or the, the Hornets in the first round, Pistons, well, you just don't see it, and you don't see – that there's a there's a one guy on any of those teams that, that can make a series close, like what you were saying with, with Paul Jordan in Indiana. So that part I don't see. What about if we go out to the West? Um, all of the changes happened out West, obviously. And I guess the Warriors have more competition than the Cavs. Like, the Warriors are on a different level than the Cavs, and they've separated themselves so much, I think, from the rest of the NBA teams. But the amount of competition that they could have of getting back to the finals, that's different than the Cavs. And that doesn't mean that Oklahoma City's on the Warriors level or Houston, um, am I missing, San Antonio, I don't know if I'm missing another team. But but those teams in a playoff series, you're like, oh my gosh, Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook, Paul George on the same team, and Kawhi Leonard and what he can do in a postseason series. Yeah. Or am I just trying to create something that's not there? No. I mean, I, I was kind of thinking about it um, from from the standpoint of almost every championship team has some kind of hangover. Okay. The Warriors won a championship and then came out and set an NBA record for regular season <laughs> wins. Um, they were, however, coming off a championship in which the, the national narrative really was, well, yeah, but the Cavs were totally wounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Warriors did come into this feeling like they have something to prove. So they they go out after losing in the finals to the Cavs, and they get Kevin Durant. And um, as expected, they just dominate everybody in the playoffs. They really don't leave a whole lot of room for the Cavs to do anything. And now the narrative all summer has just been the Warriors are invincible. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder how this team will do with that as the narrative that they are indeed invincible will will that will that allow for some midseason malaise um that yeah. that that infected the Cavs um but but even still then the Cavs like won their first 12 playoff games and, and got, got back to the finals <laughs> so it doesn't really matter what happens in the, in the regular season I just um yeah, you know, I, I'm at that point with the Warriors where I, I I fully believe in them and I fully believe in everything that they are and everything they can be, and I just don't see how any reasonable person can pick against them until they show you that you should. And they yeah. have done nothing to show mm-hmm. you, to even suggest that that should be in your mind. Of the other quote-unquote contending teams, and I guess we'll put... Houston, Oklahoma City, San Antonio, Cleveland, 
Boston, I guess. Sure. Um, do the Cavs, do you believe that the Cavs have the best chance against Golden State in a seven-game series? Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. like Jared Smith right there for a second. Yeah, yeah I, I think I do think that. Uh, just because, well, not not just. The, the, there are many reasons to believe that. Nobody else um, coming into this year has a player as good as LeBron. Right. And has who has as much finals experience as LeBron and who, like, covers as much ground in terms of, like, bringing a team even with another team like LeBron. LeBron does have one thing that he's never had against the Warriors, and that is a young, viable defender to start alongside him who mm-hmm. can who can guard that three spot, whoever it is, and allow LeBron to help on Draymond or to do, you know, to, to, to play this rover, whatever. Mm-hmm. So he's got that. And then he's got um, a deeper bench than, he, than he's ever had. Um, and and there's still some really really impressive top line talent on this team, so I don't think any other team in the league has all those combinations um, that that would make them a better matchup with the Warriors than the Cavs. I'm not saying that the Cavs are a great matchup against the Warriors, mm-hmm. but I mean, does anybody realistically think anyone in the league is at this point? No, 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 not right now. No, you know. We'll see how different teams gel. We'll see who gets hurt. We'll see who blows out a knee, all that. But right now, I, I don't know how you could say that anybody matches up well with them. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think um, the thing that the Cavs have been missing for, for so many years against Golden State, and they overcame it one year, and they won the NBA championship. But I think there are a variety of factors that played into that and led to that. And if one of them changed, it would have been a different series. But that's in the past. The thing I felt like they were missing is, okay, if you're playing against the Warriors, you better have a fa- five-man lineup. Like, you better have either your best lineup or your second-best lineup be a five-man lineup that can hang with the Hamptons five. Yeah. And that's Steph, Clay, Kevin Durant, Andre Iguodala, and Draymond Green. And you have to be as good as them or better than them because that lineup is going to play a bunch in the NBA Finals. And that's the lineup that closed out Game 5 for the Warriors. And the Cavs had absolutely no answer for it. Right. They tried Amon Shumpert at times. Didn't work. They tried Kyle Korver at times. But what he gave you offensively, he took away defensively. I mean, he didn't even give you anything offensively. Right, right. So, I think the Cavs looking at what could be a five-man lineup against the Warriors. Having Jay Crowder in that mix, um, and I don't know what they would do at point guard, to be honest with you. Right. Still, that's my one question going into the year. But having Jay Crowder in that mix takes takes them from not having a five-man unit to match up with the Hamptons five to actually having one. Yeah, I just think, like, I agree, but, like, listening to you talk listening to myself talk um, it's very important for me to listen to myself talk yeah I, I think it's easy to get yourself to a place where you can agree that the Cavs quote unquote closed the gap with the Warriors like they 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 got closer but I don't think that you can make the case yeah. that they got close enough okay. and I don't know that they could have yeah like, I don't know that anything that anybody could have done could have gotten them close enough, but I, I 
I think they're closer because I think their bench is better, and I think that they are they are closer to that to the Hamptons lineup than certainly what they had in the previous one. Yeah. The only thing that I would say is that I don't know that the method of getting closer to the Warriors involves depth. Okay. I think the method to getting closer to the Warriors involves star power. And you lost the second biggest star on your team. And you replaced them with bodies and guys that fit in a series against the Warriors. And I get that. And you are deeper. And those things are undeniable. But I think star power is the way to take them down. The Cavs won the 2016 NBA Finals on the shoulders of LeBron James and Kyrie. Sure. And having those two guys that give the Warriors those kinds of problems, I don't know that you quantify that in a way. Well, I mean, you know, 41, they both scored 41 <laughs> You're in going, game five. Yeah. And, so there you go. Uh, so, right. I mean, Isaiah Thomas is supposed to be close to to Kyrie in terms of an, of an offensive threat. Um Kyrie's the best offensive player, certainly, that I've ever covered. Yeah. Probably that I've ever seen, but um, certainly that I've ever covered. I, I don't know that I can say that about Isaiah, but I think he's kind of close. Uh, and if, if Crowder's better, if Dwayne's better, um, then that, that helps. But the good news for all of you yeah. is that we are on Fedor Street. That's right. We are pulling into his driveway. This podcast mercifully comes to an end um so you can listen to it it'll be tuesday morning and it's gonna be great and uh that'll get you ready for the season and, yep uh it's gonna be a lot of fun so um thanks, thanks. for the ride bud that Go. was our own version of road trip yes literally yes, absolutely absolutely all right guys take care Bye.